chapter 2 of Luke, I mean, looking at verses 21 through, through 35, uh, it's, it was kind of interesting to me studying this, uh, even with all that had been re revealed to Mary and Joseph and even to the shepherds, uh, 40 days, some 40 days after the birth of Christ, uh, it seems as though Simeon uh, adds an element in his prophecy in regards to, to Christ uh, that, that we haven't heard up until that point. Um, you might even say it's a fuller understanding. It doesn't negate anything that was revealed to Mary or to Joseph or to the shepherds. Uh, all those things are true and they are reality, but uh, what's the revelation or the prophecy given to uh, Simeon seems to expand that or give us a, an inkling at least that the way to the throne is going to be very different than many may have anticipated. In fact, uh, I think that's probably why so many rejected because they had these preconceived notions or ideas in regards to their Messiah, which in many cases were not necessarily untrue. They just, they just put them too early in the process. There was a gap between the, here and him being there uh, being that Messiah that they didn't understand as a way, as a, as I mentioned, the pathway to the cross. So I just really tonight, I'm just, I'm thinking about in regards to, I want to see Jesus as Simeon saw Jesus. And that's kind of the emphasis of my, my message tonight. But let's begin in reading in verse 21 and then we'll read through verse, uh, we'll just read through verse 38, although I may not get to Anna uh, as completely. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to pre present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit in the t into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed him, blessed God, and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again. 
Lord, we just ask for your help and understanding tonight. Lord, would you bring, uh, bring to us the things that you would have us see and to understand? And Lord, I pray that wouldn't be just an academic pursuit or uh, some sort of educational purpose, but Father, more that it might open our hearts and our eyes to behold Christ more clearly and that it might be actually become devotional for us, that it might move us uh, to reflect upon Christ and to see his glory more fully. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So I was thinking about Simeon just in the various verses. There's about eight things I want to share with you, and I'll try not to be very lengthy in these, but <clears throat> and I'm like I said, I'm looking at this in terms of <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> what did what did uh, Simeon see? Uh, I wanna I wanna I wanna understand how he saw Jesus. And obviously we know that was a divine operation. The Holy Spirit is mentioned three different times in regards to this. So in verse 26, 27, and also in 25, this Jesus, the Jesus that he is seeing is the one to whom the Holy Spirit points him. <clears throat> he tells him in those verses that the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 25, that doesn't mean he was indwelling. In fact, most, most people believe that they mean by that simply that there was a spirit of prophecy. In other words, he had the gift of prophecy, but the Holy Spirit was providing this gift. And it had been revealed to him by this same Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. And then in verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And I'm gleaning from that or I'm drawing from that the, not only the necessity of the Holy Spirit's involvement in him seeing Jesus. Uh, the Mary and Joseph had the, Joseph had the dream and Mary had the angelic uh, revelation. And of course the shepherds had their experience as well. But here it's expressly indicated that the Holy Spirit was, was conducting the operation. And to me, that was striking. But what's more striking is that the Holy Spirit here is, is pointing Simeon towards the Christ. And I think we touched on it in our study one night in some of the discussion, but that was one of the things about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus even said of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit's ministry wasn't to come upon Simeon and magnify himself, the Holy Spirit's ministry there was to come upon Simeon so that Simeon might identify Christ. So everything the Spirit is doing is pointing towards Christ. And that tells me several things. Obviously, it tells me what the role of the Holy Spirit there is. But it, secondly, it tells me that that's, that's what I need to be anticipating the Holy Spirit to do. And then thirdly, that the Holy Spirit is necessary for that to happen. Uh, I don't think you would see much more uh, than the Holy Spirit would provide for us to see in Jesus in regards to him. That's why so many today will acknowledge Jesus' historical um, existence, but they would never acknowledge that he was the son of God. They would never acknowledge his deity. Uh, they, they might not even acknowledge the fact that he was able to die for our sins. So, so there is a necessity of the Holy Spirit involved in communicating or in us seeing Christ for who he really is. It's not only that, but I think also in verse 25, but the Holy Spirit is the one for whom, or Jesus is the one for whom the Holy Spirit prepared Simeon. It says of Simeon in those verses that he was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Uh, the, the, the name there literally, by the way, means one who hears from Shema in the Hebrew, which is to hear. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is at work in him, I think, making them him the man he was. It says of him that he was righteous. 
he was devout, and that he was expectant. And I think that's indicative that the Holy Spirit, I think it's suggestive at least, that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God was involved in the life of Simeon, preparing him. Uh, Obviously, he was righteous. I don't think that means righteous in the sense of there is none righteous, no, not one. But I think it was righteous in the sense that he was sincere in regards to his obedience to God in the law. He was carrying out those, uh, he was adhering to the law and all that he understood that it meant to be faithful to God. And, and he was obviously pious in doing that, recognized that as well. And I think that touches on his devotion. He's not insincere. He's not giving lip service. He was a genuinely devoted um, uh, follower of God, a child of God. When I read that, I thought about Jesus' comments about Nathaniel. He told Nathaniel, uh, here's a Jew. Uh, basically, you know, this is, the, this is the epitome of a Jewish man here, just commending him in that sense. And this seems to be the kind of man he is. And not only that, but in, the, in this piety, he had a, an expectation. Now, I know we read a lot that expectations for the Messiah were high, but I, but I think that Simeon is unique in the sense that he's, he's expecting the consolation of Israel and we go on to read more about him and we know we get the sense that he had an idea at least or he had some concept of, this, of what this Messiah would be like. So there was a, a pious, a devoted, sincere expectation of the Messiah as the Messiah really is. Not as, not as the Messiah as I, as I think he might be, or the Messiah as the king who's going to bring prosperity to Israel and all those things alone. But he seems to be more sensitive to the, to the fullness of the role that the Messiah would play. And so it says of that. But I'm saying that the Holy Spirit, I believe, is responsible for that providential preparation for Simeon to be able to behold Christ when he finally does come. In fact, he has that uh, very promise. He says of him that he had been told by this same spirit, he had been communicated by this same spirit that he would not see death or he would never die until he saw the Christ. And so the spirit is preparing him with righteousness, devotion, and the proper expectation. And to me, there's lots of application points to there. In fact, in my notes, I put, he is the one to whom the Holy Spirit points us And he is the one for whom the Holy Spirit prepares us. And so I'm making application there as well. In fact, I think the only way we can see Christ clearly is if the Holy Spirit is doing his work in regards to righteousness and devotion and even building proper expectations. I think some people, you hear them talk and and they might be surprised uh, when Christ returns because the Christ they're anticipating returning is not the Christ that is displayed in the scripture. So they may be somewhat surprised and it may not be good news for them at the return of the second return of the second coming of Christ. In, in the third one here in verse 29, Jesus is the one who makes uh, Simeon's departure peaceful. I really I was really struck by this. It says there, Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, when he finally does see him, obviously in verse 28, he he goes to them and he takes them into his arms. By the way, we're not told that Simeon was 
employed in any service in the temple, just that he was there. Uh, the implications seemed to be, or suggested seemed to be, that he was a, an elderly man. In fact, I was reading one term for Simeon uh, that literally meant drawn face and flat nose. <laughs> and some people even propose, well, maybe he's even a Gentile. We don't, we're not given much information about who Simeon is, but we know that he was there in the temple. And we know that whenever Jesus was brought into the temple upon seeing Christ, he immediately knows this is the, this is the Messiah. And, he, and you can imagine Joseph and Mary, he, he races over and he just takes him from their arms. <laughs> I mean, here's a 40-day-old infant and he takes him from his mother or his father's arms and he's embracing this Christ that he's been waiting for. And who knows for how long, by the way, because we're not given a, a timetable here. This could have been an ongoing multi-year, multi-decade work of the Holy Spirit in Simeon preparing him for this very moment. But Simeon, upon seeing him, says very first thing, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. Uh, I, just, I was just struck by that. It seems as though this was all, this seeing Christ was all that Simeon was living for. His expectations were not mingled with, with a happy life, or they were not mingled with prosperity. They were not mingled with temporal blessings, it seems as though through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Simeon had been prepared. His expectations had, had grown to the point that this was his last and full and only expectation was to see the Christ. And when he sees him, he understands my expectations have been fulfilled. And that is the key for his peaceful departure. I'm, I'm convinced that at that point, uh, Simeon was completely ready to go on and be with the Lord. I, I believe that's, that was his whole life was built around those expectations of Christ. You've heard me share in my own testimony. When I met Christ uh, in the context in which I met Christ at that moment, I only wanted Christ. I, I literally did not care if I survived in this world another day. That Christ that I was beholding and experiencing was all I wanted. I had a wife, I had a daughter, I had people in this world I love, but in that moment, they were completely excluded from the desires of my heart, Christ alone. And I, I can't help but think that's where Simeon was. I don't think he's saying this to, to just to repeat some prophetic word somewhere. I think he's expressing the desires of his heart. He had been given this promise by the Holy Spirit. It had been revealed to him that Simeon, you will not die until you see the Christ. Now, can you imagine perhaps all the years Simeon had been praying for the Messiah's coming? And the Holy Spirit is work at work upon his life or in his life. And he's giving him revelations and, and giving him indications in regards to this Messiah. And his desire to see him is growing and growing. And he's longing and perhaps he's praying, Oh Lord, let me not leave this world until I lay my eyes upon the Messiah. And so I'm, I'm thinking that anticipation was building over his lifetime perhaps. Certainly in these later years. And finally... That day comes and his expectations are fulfilled. And in his mind, what, what further use am I to live in this world? Let me now go and be with my God. Uh, I have to say something. I'm not so sure that that's not what the Holy Spirit's ministry is happening in us today. 
I'm not so sure that the whole, I am sure that the Holy Spirit is ministering by sanctification and by the work of the Spirit and the word of truth to bring us more and more into view of the Christ. And, and the longer and the longer that happens and the more clearly that happens, the more our devotion and love for Christ increases. And if it pushes out all the way to the end of our days, I pray that at the, at the end of my days, my expectations and anticipations of beholding Christ will be along the lines of Simeon. And when I, when I finally cross death's door or when I met death's door and I see him most clearly, then my heart will say with Simeon, let me now depart in peace. I've seen him more clearly all of my life. I'm convinced he exists. I'm convinced that he loves me and that he's redeemed me. I'm convinced that there is eternal joy in his presence. So there he is. I've only to cross this barrier called death to get to him. Let me go. Let me go. That seems to be where Simeon was. He says of him as well, this Jesus, he sees, he says of him in verse 30 that he is our salvation. He says, I'm ready to go to depart in peace. Why? Because I have seen your salvation. And I think he means that in the totality of that word. He is the deliverer. He is named Jesus. He shall save his people. But I think Simeon had a view of the entirety of that salvation. Because of what he says later on through the, through the revelation that he had had himself. He knows that there is a means by which he's going to procure that salvation. But he, but he doesn't say, this is the one who's bringing salvation. He says, I'm looking at your salvation. And the indication to me is that it is in Jesus Christ. It is not in a, a method so much as it is the person carrying out the method. Only Jesus Christ can be our salvation. You could send another man through the very same circumstances, subject him to the same mockery, to the same accusations, to the same torture, to the same death, and you cannot find salvation in that man. And Simeon understands that Jesus is our salvation. I think sometimes we, we, we have to guard ourselves into drifting in the idea that Jesus and my good behavior is my salvation, or Jesus and my church attendance is my salvation, or Jesus in my Bible study and in my prayer devotion life is my salvation. Those things are manifestations of an ongoing salvation, no doubt. But Jesus alone is your salvation. We ought to be central in that belief and that conviction that in Christ only is our salvation. And all the things that he has commanded us to do are works that are produced as fruit of the spirit dwelling in us, transforming us to that very image of Christ. He is indeed from beginning to end our salvation. And that's what Simeon sees him as. Now, like I said, the announcement had been made, you shall name him Jesus, he shall save his people, he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. There have been lots of announcements made by angels and, and by the, to the shepherds in regards to the, the, the great joy and the glory and the highest and peace on earth toward men with whom he is pleased. They have a lot of information, but this is, this is the first time this sort of information, at least in the chronology here, is indicated. In Simeon, this old man in the temple is bringing a fuller revelation of just who this child is. So he is our salvation. In verse 32, he says as well, he is our light. And I'm saying our there because I'm a Gentile, but he says in verse 32, 
He has prepared him in the presence of all peoples, verse 32, a light, a revelation to the Gentiles. So part of the, it, I think that ties with the sentence just before. Part of the preparation is the light that he is, but he, is, he has brought this to pass among the nations. And to the Gentiles, he is to be a light. And I think that speaks primarily of his truth, uh, which is ultimately rest in him. So he himself is a light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So when, is, when Simeon looks at Jesus, he recognizes Jesus as the truth uh, that will be displayed to the, to the Gentiles. And then he also acknowledges him, this is the glory of Israel. This is the one, this is the one who has been promised from the beginning, who has been foretold down through the ages. This is the glory of God's people Israel. This is the one for whom he has kept them in covenant down through the years. This is, this is the object of the, of the Israelis, as it were. This is, this is the one whom Abraham saw. This is the one that Abraham understood, I think, all the way back to Mount Moriah when he offered up his own son and the angel stayed his hand and he took the ram, not the lamb, from the bush and sacrificed him instead. From that day forward, this was the lamb that, was, that Abraham had promised his son God would provide. And so he's saying in his various real sense to you Jews, this is your glory. And to you Gentiles who live in the lands of darkness and who are yourselves darkness, this is your light. I'm looking at a baby here. Everybody else has heard the angel's announcement. Even at the shepherd's comments, Mary holds these things and ponders them in her heart. And even though she's had the revelation she has, she seems to be in amazement at what she's hearing here because she, she's not even seeing that clearly. She's had the word of God of what this son she had would be. But here's Simeon saying very explicit things in regard to who this is that he's seen by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and by revelation. And they're pondering these things and amazed at these things. And Simeon sees them apparently as clear as the noonday sun. I love that. Uh, I always think, uh, when I think along those terms, you remember Elisha's servant, and they were surrounded by the enemy, and he goes in and he panics and tells Elisha, we're surrounded, what are we going to do? And so Elisha just says, Lord, open his eyes. And what's, what strikes me about that passage is that Elisha lived with his eyes open. The servant was a faithful man, and he was a servant of Elisha, but his eyes were most of the time closed. And Elisha recognized immediately, your problem here is not the enemy surrounding us. Your problem is that your eyes are closed. So I'm not going to pray that God would show you, show you the, the multitude of protection around us. I just pray that God will open your eyes because that's your problem. And so that's what he prays and his eyes are open and he sees what Elisha sees and everything's okay. To me, Simeon had his eyes open. He could look at this child who looked like any other Jewish child in the, in the, in the arms of a, a, a relatively, not impoverished, I don't think, but certainly not a prosperous mother and father. And he was seeing all this just as clearly as day to the point to where he says, I'm so convinced of this that I can die in peace now. I'm waiting for nothing else. I've seen what the Holy Spirit promised me I would see. So he's a light of revelation, the glory of Israel. Verse 34 gets really interesting as well, but he says of this child, while he's looking at this child, he is the appointed one. And he gives uh, really four things there, I think. You might could subdivide those even smaller and maybe even more minimally, but I see four. He is appointed for the falling and for the rising and for a sign 
and to reveal hearts. Uh, the first one I thought about, there's a couple of ways you could understand this. The falling and rising might even be referring to uh, the presence of this child, uh, particularly Simeon here, I think, is looking at the ministry. That's why I think he's seeing it clearly, because clearly this child is not going to make anybody fall or rise. But he sees this child's life. In other words, this one, this ministry, the, the life of this one will result or will be, he is appointed for the falling of many in Israel and the rising of many in Israel. And some people believe he's referring there to this child in his ministry will strike down the prideful and raise up the oppressed. And that's, that's consistent. I mean, Jesus would confront the religious leaders who were resting in their own righteousness and he would strike them uh, down, as it were, with his words. They would, they would be put to shame and be put to silence in the, in the wisdom, the face of the wisdom of Christ. He would bring down the prideful, as it were. But then the oppressed who had been bearing the yoke of the prideful and had been manipulated by the self-righteous, he would lift them up. Those who were pressed down in society, he would rise them up. I think that's a very good application there. But I think it could also in, involve here the dying or the striking down of the prideful and the raising up of the, of the humble, those who had been born again. It could be, he may be referring to the salvation that he's just mentioned. This is the salvation. He's appointed for this falling and rising again of many in Israel. You remember the scriptures say, speak of Christ as the stone upon which they would stumble. And there's a warning in regards to that as well. The ones whom the stone falls upon will crush, but those who fall upon the stone can, will be restored. In other words, they'll stumble over Christ and through that stumbling will become their restoration. But others will resist him and the stone won't be a stone of stumbling. It'll be a stone of crushing there. And so it may have reference here to salvation. He's looking at this child and he's saying, this is the salvation of Israel. This is the salvation. I'm looking at your salvation here and he brings it about by the crushing and the, 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 the crushing and the raising up again. And so I think either application could make sense here, but whichever it was specifically, Simeon sees it very clearly. There's no doubt in my mind, even from the, the biblical record, that Jesus strikes down the prideful, even in our day today. In fact, God deliberately chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. I mean, Jesus goes into, the, goes into these dens, as it were, of self-righteous and prideful people, and he speaks truth in a way that silences them and stuns them, and they go away. And the only reaction they can have at that point is they want him dead and silenced. And these are the ones who are being crushed. These are the ones who fall. But then there are generations, as it were, of those who have been oppressed by religiosity, by, by men's laws and men's traditions, and they've been caused to carry burdens all their lives. And Jesus comes to deliver them as well, to take away from them the yoke. Simeon looks at Christ and he sees this in the child. Notice as well in verse 34, he says there in regards to a sign, notice as well that uh, 34 has sort of a hyphen there. Uh, so the understanding and the, the reading of that is that verse 35, there's a phrase there that was sort of hyphenated when he says a sword will pierce your own soul. It's hyphenated. It's like that's set off. And so if you read that in, without the hyphen in it, it says, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Christ is, is the appointed one to be that sign 
which when opposed reveals the hearts. And that's exactly what happens. Whenever they come against Christ, it just manifests the very reason Christ came. The heart is deceitful and wicked, and who can, who can know it? And so they come against him. He's, he's there as a sign, as it were, that we, who which they oppose reveals their very hearts. And the same is true in our day today. You, you think of the opposition to, to the world today in many ways of Christ, and it reveals the heart. If you see opposition and resistance to Christ, it manifests that the heart is, is fallen and is not restored and certainly is not born again. The world, uh, I think, it's funny to me because I think about this sometimes. There was a time it seems as though this world was content with you to say Jesus and, and praise Jesus all you wanted to. In other words, society sort of tolerated that. Maybe you call it constitutional religious freedom or whatever. But there was a time whenever Christians could speak the name of Jesus and, and there wasn't a lot of opposition, at least to you doing it. They may have been to them accepting Christ. But in our culture today, it seems like there's growing vicious opposition to the, to the very mention of Christ. It's not that you're mentioning, they don't want to hear him. In fact, John chapter 3 tells us that. This is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and people love darkness rather than light. And to me, that, that's along the lines of what Simeon is saying in regards to this child. This little boy, your little infant, your little 40-day-old infant is going to be for a sign to, to be opposed, which, which in the opposition of which will reveal the hearts of men. The, the condition of the hearts of men. And oh, he was opposed. He was opposed. And then verse 35, finally tonight, which he says here, a sword will pierce even your own soul. I think in that statement certainly is a prophecy of Christ's crucifixion. But I think Simeon saw that clearly. I think he looked at that child, took him into his arms, understood that this is a salvation. This is your salvation. And this is what I've been waiting for. This is what the Holy Spirit has been conditioning me for and preparing me for all these years. I'm looking at him and I'm seeing salvation in its fullest form. I know that this child is going to be crucified. And Mary, when that happens, you're going to feel as though a sword went into your soul. We know a sword went into, or a spear went into the side of Jesus Christ. And so I think that Simeon at this moment, anticipating and seeing through the gift of prophecy and through the Holy Spirit at that moment, the full, the full scope of the salvation of Jesus Christ, understanding that it was going to require a cross, looked at his mother while he's holding this baby child that she loves so much and, and felt in that moment, in the moment that salvation is procured for us, you'll feel the sword in your very own soul. Your son is going to die. Me and Hope were talking the other day, and I said, when we have children, we have all sorts of hopes, right? Even when they're little, we're dreaming about what they'll be when they grow up, who they'll marry someday, where they'll go to school, what kind of child will they be? Will they be smart? Will they be athletic? Will they be handsome? Whatever. We have all these anticipation and hopes for long lives for our children. And Simeon is, Simeon is essentially saying to this mother, your child was born to die. He came into this world to die. 
I mean, there are lots of hopes. Certainly, he's going to pro procure salvation for people who cannot procure it for themselves. He has a great destiny. He is indeed God in the flesh, and he has an infinite glory that he'll return to someday and, and will enjoy him forever. But in this world, he came into the flesh to go to the cross, Mary. And to me, that's what convinces me that Simeon saw more than just a few lines of prophecy. I think through the Holy Spirit, Simeon was given a, a, a panoramic view of what the salvation of the Lord was going to look like. It's a glorious thing, but not everybody saw the path of it. The others who thought and were anticipating a Messiah would call it salvation too. In fact, they even called it the consolation of Israel. That's what the Messiah was. But they didn't, they didn't see it in full form like Simeon seems to be seeing it here. And so he ends with telling her essentially, or at least indicating to her what sort of suffering and opposition this child would be confronted with. This is why I saved a little bit for the for the widow here. Now, my assumption by reading this is that she was nearby when this was being told. She hears this because it doesn't say she had a gift of the Spirit. It doesn't say that she had a prophetic spirit or the Holy Spirit came upon her and she came and followed up Simeon's with her own. I think she was in the earshot or in the presence of where this was happening. And it says of this woman, she had lived 77 years as a widow after her husband died after only seven years of marriage. I think that's 77 years. And at that point, she must have just devoted the rest of her life to God. She was married seven years. Her husband died. And per perhaps in her despair and her sorrow and her broken heart, she gave herself wholly over to the service of God. And it says she went to work and she went to the temple. She, she never left the temple. That's striking. I don't, I'm not sure if there was a place to sleep in the temple, but she never left it. Somehow or another, it says she never left the temple. She was there day and night, serving night and day. And not only there serving night and day, but with fastings and prayers. Who knows? It doesn't say specifically that she would see the Messiah. Perhaps those were prayers that God would be her comforter. Perhaps her despair from losing her husband and her plight for the rest of her life as a widow. Perhaps they were, maybe they were prayers, earnest prayers every day and every night in fasting that, oh God, would you be my comfort? Would you be my all? I don't have a husband anymore. I lost the one I love. Would you be all for me? And so she refused to leave the place of God's presence. Maybe that was her prayer every day. And so she's there. And it says, verse 38, at that very moment. What moment? I think the moment that she heard Simeon. Simeon comes in. She's over there. She's been praying. Her heart's, God has her everything. And all of a sudden she overhears Simeon come across there. Perhaps she'd even talked to Simeon through the years. But she sees Simeon coming towards Mary and Joseph. And he comes and takes the baby. And he proclaims, here is the salvation. Here is your salvation. And he prophesies all these things. And she's hearing this. And all of a sudden, the God whom she's been praying for, perhaps to be her God, to be her only love and her only devotion, is present with her in the flesh. And at that moment, it says she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking. And she calls him the redemption of Jerusalem. My point is this tonight especially during this Christmas season, 
There are many who are going to even go through the motions of, of seeing Christ. And this ties into the joy that I spoke of Sunday morning. And what I'm learning from this is, first and foremost, that the only way that I can see Him clearly is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm completely dependent upon the Spirit of God dwelling within me as a believer to open my eyes to behold Christ more fully this Christmas. Whenever I contemplate the child, that's why on the 18th we'll definitely be reading from Isaiah 53. But whenever I contemplate the child in the manger, I do it. I want to do that simultaneously contemplating the, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. I want, I want by the Holy Spirit's ministry and by the truth of God's word to see, to depend upon him, to show me Christ more clearly. And not just to, not just to see past past the method of our salvation to the end of it. That's a glorious thing and we should do that and that is the hope set before us and the, and the joy set before us. But I think for our part, we need to contemplate on, the, on what it cost, what it took to purchase that salvation. And I think that's what Simeon understood. The shepherds heard this glory, the glorious message and they went away glorifying God and rejoicing. And they told everybody and Mary and Joseph pondered these things in their heart. And at the Magnificat, Mary just exalts in praise in regards to this great favor that's been put upon her. All these things. But Simeon gets to the heart of the matter. He starts drilling down this, this great salvation and this great joy and this peace to all with whom he is pleased. All these things have a purpose purchase price and Simeon saw it saw it and that's why I think at that point Simeon was was ready to go he was ready to meet his death now in peace because he was now he not only saw the salvation but I think he saw more clearly the procuring of the salvation he saw the method by which he was going to be saved and and so certain was he of the efficiency and sufficiency of that that now I can release myself I can let go in peace. You promised me that I would see your salvation. And I'm looking at him and I'm seeing the fullness of that salvation. And there is no doubting and there is no wavering in my heart that my salvation is secure. So let me step on out of this fallen world and this darkened world. I was reading one commentator who didn't think the expectation, I touched on a little bit, but they were talking about the expectations in general in Israel were not as high as we sometimes, we sometimes think in terms of everybody was looking like Simeon was looking. In fact, he pointed out Simeon. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel, but he had the right, he was searching the right, he was searching for the right one. Others had their own preconceived notions in regard to the Messiahship, never even imagining that the pathway to the throne would lead them to a Roman cursed death upon the cross. And so that's where they, that's where they chafed whenever Jesus come on the scene, even his own disciples, the Son of Man must be crucified. And they chafed at that, even Peter, far be it from me, no way you're going to be crucified and taken up to Jerusalem. And Peter had, Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan, because you're not seeking the will of God here. This is why I came to go to the cross. And so I think there were expectations of a Messiah, but, but no expectations that anticipated the cost of that, uh, the salvation that that Messiah would bring them. But Simeon seems to have understood that cost. And that's what, to me, sets him apart. 
And perhaps why this narrative in regards to Simeon and Anna's affirmation of what Simeon said as well, because he was the answer to her hopes and prayers and all of her fastings as well. He was her salvation. He was for her Jerusalem's redemption. And so I think they saw him most clearly of these early persons in the Bible. In fact, maybe more clearly than even the disciples of Christ until later on in their own ministry. And I wonder sometimes, I don't have to wonder, in my flesh, I wouldn't have seen him. I wouldn't have seen him. At the very most, I would, I would be able to say what the angel said to me about him, but I wouldn't see the, I wouldn't see the cost and the price of that. But God was gracious and gave Simeon that insight and, and had him make the proclamation. You have to wonder, uh, this is outside the text, but I have to wonder all the years that Mary lived with Jesus and brought him up as a child, uh, how often she thought about when's the sword coming. Because there had to be much joy in bringing up the Messiah. There had to be times of just regular joy to watch your children that you love playing and then to watch him, watch him learning. And then even when they, when he was stayed behind in Jerusalem and they lost him on the trail and had to go back and get him. And he said, didn't you know, I had to be about my father's business. And, and certainly they disciplined as a parent should do, but they pondered these things in their heart and how, how often through the years she was thinking, when does the sword come? When does the sword come? And then as she saw him begin his public ministry and he saw the opposition coming against him and more and more growing and then she saw all the religious leaders coming against him. When's the sword coming? And then finally they come and arrest him and take him away to be crucified and she follows him all the way to the cross and she watches him torture her son and scourge him and nail him to a cross and hang him upon a tree and she has to be wondering, is this the sword? And I think finally on that cross, whenever the sun went down and it was about to be the Sabbath and they, and they thrust that spear into his body and he gave up the spirit and they thrust the spear into his body later on, I wonder if the words of Simeon came back to her strong at that moment. This is the sword. This is the sword. This son indeed was opposed. And in his opposition, it revealed the hearts of men. And this is the hearts of men. They take the Son of God to the cross and murder him there. And that would, be, that would be the sword as well. Not only do you lose the son you love, but in the very loss of your son, it displays the, the corruption and the depravity of the human heart, the very ones whom he came to save. The most striking words, I, perhaps for me, Jesus spoke from the cross was, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Uh, that's the people that are killing you. Uh, now, I might say, Father, forgive those who killed him because they wouldn't, didn't know what they were doing. But if you're killing me, and while you're in the process of taking my life, I say to the Father, Father, forgive these. They have no idea that they're killing the one that loves them most. Uh, that's this child. And when we celebrate Christmas, that's that child. And I don't care what anybody tells me when I look at a manger scene, I don't think warm and cuddly. My heart strings get tugged because I know that baby in that manger grew into a man and he went to a cross. And if he didn't, I have no hope and you have no hope. And I think that's what Simeon saw. I think that's what freed him up to go to his grave in peace. And I think that's the only thing that's going to free us up uh, from this life as well.
Uh, and that, that's my prayer for all of us at Christmas. So thank you for being here tonight. Stand with me and we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for our Savior. Lord, it's hard for us to imagine what was in Simeon's mind's eye. He describes it here in very great detail, but the experience of that, to be standing there and to be holding this infant and essentially seeing his life from its start to its conclusion in this world in one moment and to make that declaration, Father, and to be in that vision so confident and so assured of his own salvation that he would be willing to leave this world even in that very moment, I believe. And Lord, I pray for us that we would see Christ in such a way, even now as we live and as your spirit works within our hearts, that you would do your work of sanctification that would be more and more exposing us more fully to the, to the fullness of who Christ is, to his glory, to the point to where we see him so clearly and we are so assured that this life will have no hold on us at all that we'll not be fearful of leaving this world. And, and Father, as your word says, that snare will be taken away altogether. The devil will not have that weapon to use against us, the fear of death that can only be escaped in seeing Jesus. So Father, help us to see him more clearly, each of us, everyone in this room, Lord, whatever understanding and whatever grasp we have of Jesus now is far, far less than the fullness of who he is. And so we're dependent upon you to show us more clearly. We ask in his name for his sake and for his glory. Amen.